Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. So yes, God is a God of love, but He hates that which is evil and unholy. We're at ease. We're content. We're comfortable. We're living for ourselves. God, did I please you? Did I honor you? Did I fear you? That's our reward. Joining us for this edition of Living Faith. You're invited to join us as we continue our series entitled Roll Down Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. For the Hebrew people, life in the Promised Land was a cycle. Though God had promised his people a land of plenty, he also commanded them to remember him and his law in their abundance. The people became blinded by their prosperity and often followed after other gods, worthless idols. Each time, God graciously provided the voice of a prophet to call his people back to himself and to warn of impending judgment. Amos was one such prophet in this cycle. This shepherd, called from the fields of a small town, was chosen to bring God's message of judgment to a powerful and arrogant nation. A message so very relevant to New Testament believers who were part of Israel's faithful remnant through Jesus Christ. So get your Bible and pen ready, and let's listen in as Pastor John Beck leads us through the book of Amos. Take your Bible this morning and find the Old Testament book of Amos. It's a tricky little small book to find. If you're visiting with us and have not been with us as we have been studying this book, it is hard to find. So just go ahead and flip to the table of contents and find it. It's a... Small little book, it's hard to find for those, even when the preacher's preaching through it, it's hard to to find. Poor old Amos, he's not really a pastor, I guess you would call him a prophet. And he was told to go to a people and preach judgment, and preach judgment, and preach judgment. And then after he preaches three long sermons on judgment, he shares five visions about judgment and judgment and judgment. Wasn't very politically correct, but you know what? It was what the people of Israel needed to hear. When Amos is prophesying to the nation of Israel, and I think even we think that, that it was prophesying to the nation of Israel. It wasn't prophesying to a nation. It was prophesying to a people. The people is what made the nation of Israel, the chosen ones, the people of of Israel. And so even as we have walked through this this week, uh, this this seemed like a year maybe, this, this season of Amos, when God says to Amos in, the, in Amos chapter 9 that he, he is going to provide a, a remnant, sometimes we misunderstand what that means. And so we, we think that God still has a plan for the nation of Israel, and we think of it as a political thing that in the future there's going to be the nation of Israel, and we miss it. It's not the nation of Israel. It's the people of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. You know, and I've said this, and it always, it's probably not the best day to say this. America cannot be a Christian nation because you don't make a land Christian or a thing Christian. What makes America Christian? The people in it. 
So I've always said that. I've always offended folks. And I said, listen, you, you know, I'm a patriotic guy. I mean, it's in my family tree. I know it for a fact now. America is not a Christian nation because somebody in the White House says it is or it isn't. What makes America a Christian nation is the church, the church of the living God. And so back up a little bit. Amos is standing in the, in the, in the midst of the nation, and he's coming to a conclusion of the third sermon. He's not preaching to a political machine. He's not preaching to a political person. He's not preaching to a religious nation. He's proclaiming to the people of Israel. And he's saying that judgment is coming upon the nation of Israel because of the people of Israel. We can look at our nation. God's not going to judge America. God's going to judge the people of America. Because if there's no people in America, there's no America, right? You notice in 2 Chronicles, does it say, if my nation? Does it say, if my nation will humble themselves? What does it say? My people. So when we look at Amos chapter 6 and we say, how do we apply Amos chapter 6 to us? We apply Amos chapter 6 to God's chosen people of today under the new covenant. You know who that is? You and I. We live in a great country, but it's a great mission field, is it not? And I think part of being, uh, what, what I, and I tell myself, what I, what I love about being a, an American, and, a, and I appreciate Matt sharing that, the only one that we need to exalt and to magnify with everything that we are is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is God. Amos 6, woe to thee. You ever heard anybody say that? Woe to thee that are at ease at Zion. And those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes, pass over to Calneh and see, and from there go to Hamath the great. Then go down to Goth of the Philistines, and you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? Or you who put away the day of disaster and bring near the seed of violence? There's that woe. Woe to you at ease at Zion. What a profound statement. Woe to you that's at ease in Zion. He says, look around and look at the other nations, those great nations that you would consider those foreign nations. Look around you at ease in Zion and look at those great nations that fell. And if you think that those greater nations are going to fall, then how much more should we expect us to fall than we are at ease at Zion? Verse 4, woe to those who lie on beds of worry, or ivory, I'm sorry, beds of ivory. And they stretch themselves out on those couches. Can you not see the picture there? Just laid back, fat and happy. They eat from the lamb's flock and the calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instrument of music who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with finest oils. Can you see the picture of that? Just kick back and happy and luxury and but are not grieved over the ruin 
of Joseph. Sitting on beds of ivory and, and just taking in all the goodness and prosperity again, but not grieved on the condition of the people of God. Therefore, they shall be the first of those who go into exile. And the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, declares the Lord God of hosts. Verse 8, I abhor the pride of Jacob, and I hate his stronghold, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. Boy, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? In our current culture, what do we say about God? God just loves us. You know how many times I hear that? God just wants everybody to be happy because God loves us. God loves us and God wants us to be happy and God loves us and God wants us. You know, you could, uh, if you apply that to our current culture today, you know what this text would say if it was written today? God loves you and wants you to sit on ivory couches and to eat the fattened calf and take of the wine and anoint yourself and, and live in luxury and just live in happiness and contentment and you just live however you want to. Is that what the text says? No, it doesn't say that. He said he hates it. You remember the previous sermon we looked at in in Amos 6? He hates idolatry. He hates worship that is not pure and holy. He hates injustice. So yes, God is a God of love, but he hates that which is evil and unholy. Amos 6 could be a a, a text written today. You know, a lot of times we take Bibles and we want to make them as relevant as we can and we call it the the modern English language translation for today's people. Amos 6 could be written today. That's what I love about the Bible. It was written how many years ago and it's still relevant today. I hate these strongholds, and I will deliver up that city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house, and shall say to him, Who is it in the innermost parts of the house? Is there still any more with you? He shall say, No, and he shall say, Silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. Judgment is going to be so severe that even if there was one left alive, don't even mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands, the great house shall be struck down into fragments and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? No, they don't. But you have turned justice into poison. And the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodabar. And and evidently that was a a city or a people that they had taken and conquered. So uh, Amos is reminding them now, you may have had a victory in Lodabar. And you say, how have we not our own strength captured Carnaim for ourselves? You may have had a couple of victories. There may be some victories in your life. But God said, don't get too arrogant there. For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, a house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, and they will oppress you from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Arba. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the words 
of Amos for your word today. Help us to see very clearly, Lord, our life and who we are and what we need to do about it. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had a little fun last week talking about publicly declaring woes. Remember verse 18 of chapter 5, woe to these that anticipate the day of the Lord. And if you think back to those three messages that were proclaimed, message one, sermon one, you could say, was a message that simply said, judgment is coming. Message two, the, the second sermon that we looked at in Amos, it dealt with the specifics of that. In other words, unworthy worship, unholy worship, a bunch of religion, but not knowing and, and worshiping God for who he is. And the idea along with that unworthy worship, there was unworthy justice and treatment of others. So judgment is coming. It's coming because of the way you're living your life. And then today, we're looking at the conclusion of that third sermon. This is what it's going to look like. This is what the judgment of God looks upon the people of God when they turn their back on the things of God. Woe to you at ease at Zion. Woe to you who lie on a bed of ivory. Now when you hear something like that, isn't it funny when we do this? Point one, who are the those? Don't we all do this? Woe to those at ease at Zion. And then I'll say something like this. It's, it's a message to individual people. We always go. Don't we do that? The hardest thing, can we just get something clear? I have preached this sermon to William Jonathan Beck for weeks. Specifically Amos chapter 6 all week. I, I have stood before the mirror of transparency in God's holy word. And, I, and I, I had to confess this message is for me in order I can rightly proclaim it. Do you understand that? I've done that. Would you do that today now in a brief time? Would you just get off your ivory couch? I'm not being judgmental or cute. Get off your ivory couch for just a second and realize this message may be for you. Woe to those at ease in Zion. Woe to those that lie on the bed made of ivory. Number one, who are the those? Well, look at the text. God's word tells us. At ease in Zion. You know what it means to be at ease in Zion? Comfortable. Satisfied. Just going through the motions. They were the nation of Israel. We've got victory after victory, and, and we've occupied this land, and we have all this fine produce, and we have the fattened calf, and we have all these buildings, and we, we're not been defeated. So we're just complacent, and we're satisfied, even though we know God has given us clear instructions on how we need to live as the people of God. And so we think about that today. How many of us are just satisfied of where we are? We, we have totally lost our mission and understanding as a believer, and we've kind of got caught up in the American dream, and we're just caught up in spinning our wheels and doing what we think we need to do. You know, one of the, the, the dangers I see now more than any, and I see it each generation, it seems to get a little worse and a little worse. 
None of us in the flesh like to be told what to do. You know that? I mean, nobody says, I like to be told what to do. There are some husbands that I think look that way at times, but we don't like it. We, We naturally do not just say, yes, I'll do whatever anybody asks me to do. Do you know what I see now more than ever and ever in my short time frame? I'm marking my 20th anniversary as a pastor. I'm not there yet, young fella. He's still Paul and I'm still Timothy. People don't like to be told what to do, even when God says it. Isn't that amazing? In our great country, just a generation ago, we would have never questioned what God says. You know what we're doing now? Questioning what God says. That's what liberal theology has done. Genesis really didn't happen. That's just stories. Paul said it, but it doesn't really mean anything. We really need to hinge on what, that's what more than ever before people are saying, do not tell me what to do. And so as a pastor, when you begin to preach, you begin to preach and you, you, you start preaching. Thus, it, it's not thus saith John. If it's thus saying the John, we're all in trouble. Let us say it the Lord. It is more difficult in our culture today to preach the word of God than it ever has before. Still not as difficult as in Amos' days. We got some catching up to do, but it is the most difficult to preach the word of God today, I would say in America, than 20 years ago. And I don't know about Pastor Lehman's time frame when he was preaching, but I'm telling you what, you, nobody wants to hear the word of God anymore. We're at ease. We're content and comfortable. We're living for ourselves, not for God. That's what it means to be at ease in Zion. We're self-satisfied. We, you ask people, why do you do what you do? Because this is what I want to do. This is what I feel like I need to do. This is what makes me happy. This is what I think is best for me. And we're living this life, but we're at ease in Zion, and we're living for self instead of bowing our heart and knee to a holy God and saying, God, I want to live for you. To be at ease in Zion is this idea. Notice the countries that it missed. And it says, listen, just because you're not been defeated at ease in Zion and these couches of ivory, we are secure and we think everything's all right. I, I use this terminology. It's just kind of like sticking our foot in the water, you know, of sin. And we, we stick our foot in the water of sin and nothing happens. We think, oh, I'm okay. You know, we go, I'll, I'll sin just a little bit and it's okay. Hey, God's not judging us. We're still a country. We're okay. We're a great country, right? We're over here. Everything's okay, right? You know how fast that could change? You remember what, I, what we taught, we looked at what I taught you a few weeks ago? What happened about 40 years from now? They were leading people out of Zion with fish hooks through their ribs and through their noses, through the breaches in the wall to Assyria. That quick. Those people fail. Did, did you miss that? Naked, okay, no clothes on. That alone just makes me nervous to think about. Now run a fish hook through your nose or through one of your ribs and attach it to a, a rope, and then whoever's in front of you has a hook through their rib, 
naked, tied to a rope, and they say, all right, where's your God now? And they snatch him out of the city one by one to Assyria. That's judgment, my friend, because they got at ease in Zion. I don't know where you stand with your relationship with the Lord. If you know you're, here's the great thing about being a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're not living for the Lord, you know it. Amen. I don't have to tell you. You already know it. That's what gives me the freedom to preach the gospel. I'm not going to change your heart. God is going to change your heart. If you're not living for Christ and you're at ease in Zion, you can fall that quick. Sin takes you places you never thought you'd go. Sin will take you a place and you'll spend money than you're ever willing to pay. And sin will keep you there longer than you were ever willing to stay. And it's that quick. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and sing idle songs. We become complacent and indifferent. We're comfortable, we're self-satisfied, we're secure and safe, everything's all right. Number three, we're complacent and indifferent. What do you mean we're indifferent? They've forgotten what they're there for. We've forgotten what we're there for. We're not here to make a living. We're not here for your children to be happy. We're not here to have nice things. We're not here to have everything we want. We're not here to be happy. We're not here for everything to go our way. Why are we here? To go and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. To exalt him and share the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here. And you just think of the silly examples that I deal with every day. I always look at church attendance. Church attendance to me is the easiest thing that I, you know, when you think about the fruit, you just, I just start there because that was my life. You just, how active are we in the body life of the church? And then when we're not, this was a great test, write on a piece of paper, body life of the church, and then run number one through five, Whatever keeps you from the body life of the church, that's your couch of ivory. Well, pastor, we would be more involved, but, you know, we're busy with our kids. Boom. Pastor, we'd be more involved, but I work all the time. You know what I tell people that say they have to work all the time? The problem is not you have to work all the time. The problem is you've got too many bills. Amen? I guarantee you God does not want you working seven days a week. It's not because you're not coming to church. You're not, you need to be a better steward. You shouldn't have to work seven days a week. God says you ought to be able to worship, not work. So we blame God because we've got to work seven days a week. I would say it's a financial issue, which is a hard issue. You want too much, so you spend too much, so you have to work too much. That goes on the list. Family, work. Hobbies, all these things are not evil in and of themselves, but what do they do? They take the place of what God is asking us to do, to be part of the body life of the church, to growing in our faith, to making a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ, going and making disciples. Woe to those. Who are to those? Those that are at ease in Zion. Those that are living on an ivory couch of self-satisfaction and complacency and indifference. What I love about God's word, if you notice this, when, when, when the, can you imagine sitting in the city? Can you imagine sitting in the city and the Assyrians, let's just say hypothetically, the Assyrians come pouring down from the north. I'm looking out over the wall. Could, could you get, uh, we, there's a huge army coming from the north 
It, it doesn't look good. Could, hey, get General Ho-and-so off that ivory couch because uh, the day's not going to end well. Could you imagine what they thought? And, and this is, if, if, if I was Amos, and, and I tend to be a little sarcastic with things, if I would have been Amos, Amos wasn't around, I'd have probably sent an email and said, I told you, I tried to tell you this was going to happen. That's all Amos was saying. If you don't change, this is what's going to happen. It's not up for debate. It's not up for question. Woe to you at ease at Zion. Woe to you that are living in luxury on that ivory couch. You know, you could say that. I mean, at the end of, as we get through Amos, you can say this. Amos could say, I preached three sermons to you. I gave you five visions. What didn't you understand? And the same thing goes for us today, doesn't it? We know what happens. We know the truth and how it was laid out. It, judgment fell upon the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. What about us? You know what Amos was telling them to do? One, Amos said this, look around. Look at those other nations. He, he listed the nations, and I mentioned them before in verses 2 and 3. He said, look around. Look and see how they fell. Look and see how that worked out. Look what happens when, when you, you think you are somebody and you realize you're not. And God said, just look around. And I think about our life. Look around. I look around and think about just the goodness of God. And look at the, the general revelation at our disposal, the sunrise, the sunset. Some of us are going to start taking our mountain trips, those, those cool mountain nights up on the, all the beauty and splendor of the world. Look around at a holy and a righteous God. Amos was reminding the people, look around. Look what, I mean, I think about our lives. Look what God's already done in your life. He's saved you. He's brought you through so many hardships. He's telling them, look at Egypt. Look what, the whole book, he reminds them. He took you out of Egypt. He brought you into the wilderness for your disobedience. He provided for you. He brought you to the promised land. When you're faithful to him, you're always where you need to be for him. God is faithful. Look around. God also reminds us today as he reminded them look ahead there's two things we have either blessing or judgment I shared with our seniors our graduating seniors we had a time of, of dinner and fellowship in our family life center and one of the things we try to do you know may not always be a dinner it may not always be a breakfast, but you try to spend some time alone with those seniors I said listen it's up to you really God's done his part as I looked around the room last night, I'm pretty sure, and I've only been here five years, but I'm pretty sure based on what I know of these kids, they've all made public profession of faith. They've all followed through with baptism. They all profess to be Christ. So I look at them and I say, listen, it's not on me now. It's not on God now. It's on you. Trust in the Lord with all your might and lean out on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and fill in the rest. He will direct your paths. That's what's exciting to me because I tell people I'm 49 years old. I don't have a clue how this thing's going to wind up. But I know he does. And if I trust him and follow him, I'm going to be all right. Isn't that great? Now, you know why I don't get upset over stuff. All I'm going to do is follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to work out because he won. We look ahead. Notice what happened to them. Three words, and I'm going to move quickly. Death, destruction, and disgrace. That's what happened to them. 
if we live for the Lord Jesus Christ, if we come to Christ and we follow after him, we have life, we have blessing, and we have honor. If we do not obey Christ and we continue to live the way that we're going to live, the Bible says, God himself says, he doesn't need a vote. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He says, you will have death, you will have destruction, and you will have disgrace. Verses 9, 11, and 14. This is what I want to do these last few minutes we have here. We know who the woes are. The woe of those, I guess you could say. Who are the those? Those at ease at Zion. You're complacent. You're comfortable. You're secure. We know what's going to happen. As we look around, as we look up and out, but we also need to look in. I thought about that. If I think about this pending death, destruction, and disgrace, I think sometimes we need to kind of look within. There's a, there's a danger we have. Church, not just First Baptist Church, church in America, we're not all right. You want to tell you why I know we're not all right? Because of the laws we're passing in our land. Majority wins, correct? We've lost our voice. We're not all right. And I think that helps us. Doesn't that help us? Which if you had to write right now, stand and go, you know, I don't want no church. I always tell everybody, don't give me a church answer. Okay, I don't need a church answer. Jesus. I used to do that in seminary all the time. What's your purpose in life? Somebody say, right now, Pastor, I'm trying to get kids raised. <laughs> What's your purpose in life? Right now, Pastor, I'm just trying to keep my head over water. You know, a lot of times in ministry, what's your purpose in life? I'm just trying to get through money to, as a pastor. I'm just trying to keep the church going. It's easy to do, isn't it? What's our purpose? Somebody asked me what my purpose in ministry was years ago. I said, what is your purpose? If you had to put your purpose in one statement, what would that purpose be? And off the top of my head, I said, to encourage people to live for Jesus Christ. So you think about that purpose. I do, I, I do like the ministry of encouragement. I guess that's why I try to be funny or think I'm funny sometimes. I like to encourage people. I like to take the edge off of people in conversations. I, I do better in bigger crowds and one-on-one stuff. One-on-one stuff, I get kind of distracted. And I start looking at the corners when you're talking to me in the room. But you know what happens if that's my purpose? Guess what I get up every day and do? What can I do to encourage somebody in Christ today? Well, I know I need to get in the Word and get in my face in prayer because if I'm going to encourage somebody with Christ, I'm going to meet them today myself. I'm going to encourage somebody with Christ. I get up today and I'm going to live for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to be a witness and I'm going to make a difference in my place. I'm going to make a difference in my workplace. I know you don't want to have to work. Amen. I'm a prophet right now. Nobody wants to have to work. But look at your workplace as a mission field and know that God has you there and God has gifted you and God has allowed you to be there. Think of it that way. What is your purpose? To live for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and to encourage people in Christ and to be satisfied in him and not me. To love his word and love the word to tell me how to live my life. That's my purpose. What's your purpose? How about this question? How am I fulfilling? You got this in your bulletin, by the way. How am I fulfilling the right mission? Am I fulfilling the right mission? What is our mission? 
What does the Great Commission tell us? It's in your bullets. What does the Great Commission tell us? Okay, if you don't know it, we're going to have to back up. Stanley, run that clock back. We've got a long way to go if they don't know that. We've got to back up. What's the Great Commission? Amen. Are you doing that? That's your job, Pastor. No, it's not. It's a believer's job. What are you doing? Now, I said, I've preached this to me all week. God doesn't wore me out on the altar with it. What are you doing to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're a born-again believer, that is your mission. Not to work, not to get home, not to go to bed, not to get up, not to do all the things we try to do. Oh, I just need to, we, we live in our, our little bubbles. This is just, yeah, I'm at ease. Oh, if I could just get on my ivory couch, I'd be fine. If I could just get at ease inside. No. Make disciples. At work, make disciples. At home, make disciples. You know, you look at the disciples, they all, their life was consumed with following Christ, encouraging Christ, living for others, sharing the gospel, building others up. You remember Barnabas? I love Barnabas. What did Barnabas do? He came to the church in Antioch, and for a whole year, he made disciples. You know the statistics at church, 20% do 80% of the work. Could you imagine what would happen if just our church alone, we're just not here, we're going to say we're the only church in town for the sake of this point. We got 1,200 members. If 1,200 members every day said, I'm making a disciple for the Lord Jesus Christ today. If 1,200 people just said, you know what? I may not be the greatest disciple maker, but I guarantee you if I worked hard, I'm going to dedicate one year to, to, to evangelize, to, to see somebody come to know Christ, to see where God is working. In other words, somebody says, well, how do, how do I know who I can witness to? You start talking about Jesus and where God is working on the other side, you're going to know about it. And for one year, you're going to disciple somebody. Guess what happens next year? Now we're 2,400. The children's ministry's paid for. Now we're building a, a new youth building and we're doing this. Now we're not only taking a bus, now we can take a bus ride to Wisconsin and spend the night on the way. Amen? You know, you got to go to that trip to understand that. I saved money. We drove straight through. How many times have we sat there and said, well... He did such a good job in Amos today. I hope somebody comes forward. I feel sorry for him. Anybody ever thought that? I've done that myself. I do that myself. That's your mission. That's my mission. My purpose in life is to live for the glory of honor and God and to exalt him in all things. And my mission is to make disciples. Here's the great thing about you making a disciple. You look at me and you think, that is just an odd bird. That's just a different dude right there, isn't it? You've got friends I would, that would never let, give me the time of day. And I've got friends that would never give you the time of day. I mean, you know what I'm saying, relational. Pastor, I just tried. You know, don't. You've got, God has put, God is so sovereign and providential. He's got people all around you that are just waiting for you to invest your life into them. Am I striving for the right reward? That hit me heavy this week. You know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. I've said this as a parent, and when Sharon and I had the kids, we were young, 
too young to have kids, but still too young to have kids, but that's beside the point. And you get through, and when they were in their 20s, I remember Sharon and I going, what in the world were we thinking? We need a do-over. Don't we all do that? But here's the key. As long as you're trying to do what you know you need to do, keep the goal in mind. What's your goal? Holiness? Godliness? Pleasing the Lord? Hannah asked me in my office this morning, we were talking about a, a Bible study I asked her to go through for baptism, and she said, well, you know, I've always had a hard time explaining what does it mean to live for the glory of God? And that is true. Isn't that a great question? I said, Hannah, I don't know. I, you, you know, told Hannah, you're probably smarter than I am. I don't know, but this is what I believe. Everything I do, I just want to make God happy and please him. That's my reward. I'm going to stand before the Lord one day. He is holy and righteous. He is worthy of all praise and honor and worship. And all I want to do is at the end of the day, stand before him and say, God, did I please you? Did I honor you? Did I fear you? That's our reward. We get so caught up in other stuff that can just suck the life out of us. And we get at ease in Zion. You know the great thing about being at ease in Zion, we always get there. I'll tell you a little story. I, I used this before. Here, here's what we do spiritually. A few years ago, I just, you ever just been tired? Just tired. I, I told Judy the other day, I, we had a busy week. I said, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call in sick. I'm calling in. I told Joyce too. Let's just call in tired. A lot of times when you're tired, I remember a few days, years ago, I was just in a, in a busy point of my life, and, and I, I was more of discouraged and tired I'll be honest with you and Sharon went off to work and the kids went to school and I said I'm not gonna do anything all day I'm just tired and blah and I had some goofy 18 hours or something recorded I sat there all day long and you know when the car when you ever do this guys when the car comes up you turn it off like you're doing something in the house And I remember at the end of the day, I thought, I feel worse now than I did before the day started. That's what we do spiritually. We're just tired. And we're busy. And we don't know how we're going to get the things done. We need to get done around the house and in our life. And we're sick. And we got bills. And we got relational issues. And so we just don't know what we're going to do at all. So we do nothing. And it gets worse. And it gets worse. And it gets worse. God says, just do something. And the Bible says that my grace is sufficient. What's your purpose? What's your mission? What's your reward? I put on there, am I displaying the right glory? Who am I living for? This message can apply to Memorial Day, our country, our, our lives. Woe to those at ease at Zion. Let's stand as we pray. Oh, God, we thank you for your grace that is greater than our sin. And as we sing of that greatness, I pray that we be obedient to your word and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's all for this edition of Living Faith. Listen in every week for more from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. 
You don't want to miss any of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Roll Down, Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. Our senior pastor, John Beck, will be walking us through that important Old Testament book for the coming months. For more information about First Baptist Church of Avon Park, just go to fbcap.net. You can find us on Facebook by simply searching for First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash FBC Avon Park. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. Our Sunday service begins at 1045. You can find all this information and more at fbcap.net. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time on Living Faith.